Hello, I'm Linda. And I'm Michael. So, Michael, think of Venice and what comes to mind? Carnivals and masks. Gondolas. The Grand Canal. Rialto Bridge. La Serenissima. Oh, the Merchant of Venice. The Peggy Guggenheim. The Biennale. Monteverdi and Vivaldi. Titian and Tintoretto. Rubens, as well as the innumerable artists who visit Venice. The fire at La Fenice Theatre. The lagoons. Murano and Venetian glass. The academia. And the marriage of the sea. There are scores of words which have entered our vocabulary. Capriccio, vedute, canaletto, risotto, prosecco. It's really amazing, though, with all of this, that Venice was built at all. Indeed, that it still exists. Um, It's not a city, it's a number of tiny islands linked by 400 bridges at least. And in place of the streets, Venice has canals. It's an extraordinarily peaceful, quiet, restful city, despite the fact that tens of thousands of tourists tended to flock there in the high summer season. So how old is Venice? Certainly by the early 7th century, there were people living in the lagoon, that area, close to the sea, and most of them were probably sheltering from the invading tribes of Goths and Vandals, which swept across Central Europe in the 5th century, filling the vacuum caused by the collapse of the Roman Empire in the West, with the death of the last Roman Emperor, Romulus Augustulus, in 476. So the early settlers lived from the sea, probably by fishing and the salt pans which lay around the area, The Venetians themselves often say that their fortune was made from salt. And remember, in those days, salt was the most common form of preserving food, even though it must have caused a lot of heart attacks. Tradition claims that by the end of the 7th century, the people of the lagoon had formed a common government, and the Venetians themselves sometimes claim that the city was founded in uh, 694, In other words, around the turn of the 7th century. Now, that's not quite accurate, but it's probably not very far off because archaeological finds dating to that period have been found. The most reliable history of Venice then begins in the 8th century. And according to the historical annals which still survive, Pepin of Italy, the son of Charlemagne, laid siege to Venice, which, remember, at that stage was really not much more than a village, And the annals claimed that Pepin died in the midsummer of 810, probably around July, having unsuccessfully tried to get the Venetians to surrender. The Venetians quickly made money by becoming important traders in the Adriatic, and they supplied raisins, raisins which were dried grapes, along the Dalmatian coast. And remember, these were in the days before sugar. Yes, another important date is 828, when two merchants were said to have stolen the body of St. Mark the Evangelist from his tomb in Alexandria. There was a lot of tomb raiding in European history, and of course, relics were highly prized by Europeans. The merchants donated the body to the bishop, who built a church and buried the relics. And that church, we know it today as San Marco. And the symbol of San Mark was the lion. And thus, by association, the lion has become the symbol of Venice. The, uh, so, San Marco di Venice. The ancient sculpture which stood near the basilica was a griffin, a winged lion. And it was placed atop a large column. And across and nearby stands the other, uh, that of St. Theodore, standing on 
on a dragon. And Theodore of Amasia was the earlier patron saint of uh, Venice prior to the arrival of the relics of St. Mark. Curiously, two centuries later, the Venetians allegedly had forgotten where exactly in the church the body had been interred. Sounds remarkable, but it's a little hard to believe that. But they did claim that the relic had been mislaid following a fire in 976. So then a new building needed to be built. So a new church was constructed, the third on the original site, and that commenced in 1063. We don't have any pictorial records of what the first or second church looked like, but the third, that's the one of 1063, had a large central dome and 16 smaller domes. These were later covered with glass and stone mosaic, a feature of Venetian art, but the dome itself obviously was inspired by travel to the east. The mosaics are absolutely fascinating, they're magnificent, and the Romans, of course, invented mosaic, but it's fair to say that the Venetians really brought the art to its highest form, in particular in their use of glass tesserae, more than stone and clay squares, which were favoured by the Romans in the early centuries. They also developed a sophisticated method to place gold foil on the underside of the glass mosaic tesserae. So just as the glass was setting, the molten glass was cooling off, it stuck to the, the golden sheet. And this then had the extraordinary and particular effect of making dark spaces when tiled with gold mosaic, each sl laid slightly irregularly on the surface glow. And of course, this must have been more impressive when the area was lit by lamplight or candlelight. Can you imagine, you know, arriving in San Marco and being in, immersed in such an atmospheric uh, building? But is there anything as well that stands out on the outside of St. Mark's? And certainly there are two unique pieces which are iconic of Venice, but few visitors even take or, or notice them. And these, the first of this is a statue of the Tetrarchs. These were four rulers of the empire, Tetrarch for, for four in, in the Greek. Diocletian reigned from 284 to 305. And then two rulers, Caesar and Augustus, and two in the West, also Caesar and Augustus. The Augusti were, you know, they were on in charge. They were the kind of president, if you like. And the Caesar was the junior, like the vice president or Taoiseach and Tonish almost uh, in Ireland. It brought to an end a period of intense violence in the Roman world and of, you know, a crisis that uh, this was a means to divide empire and sort, sort out and co bring a period of stability. The word tetrarch comes from the Greek tetras are saying four and arche meaning ruler or maker. It is curious that Greek was being used as essentially Latin was the language of culture and philosophy at this time, the medieval period. The statues are extraordinary. They're carved from porphyry, which itself is a hard, very hard kind of tough purpley marble stone quarried from Mons Porphyrites in the eastern desert in Egypt. And the name itself, um, Porphyry, Porphyry, is dark purple. And it was the preserve of the emperor. It was only used for imperial carvings and decorations. An immensely purple, uh, purple and important colour. It's very difficult to make purple uh, in nature. In fact, it comes from squeezing a small mollusk in order to dye cloth. And that mollusk 
this can only be found. It's a sea, sea spiny murex shell as found off the coast of Tyre. But the sarcophagus of Helena, the mother of Constantine, and also Constantine's daughter Costanza, both were, their, their relics and their bones are buried. They were both buried in Rome. Their sarcophagi are in the Vatican and they're both made from porphyry. Um, but Michael, do you know more about these four figures? Well, the four figures depict men embracing each other in a fraternal embrace, and they're wearing military dress, and a paludamentum, a circular flat-topped hat, indicates their rank. So the older men, the Augusti, wear beards, while the juniors, the Caesars, do not. These images are stylized, and they're symbols of the divine rulers, because they were imperial, but they were also semi-divine. Think from the time of Augustus onwards, the emperors were almost always deified on their death. So why are they in Venice? They arrived as part of the booty of the early 13th century attack on Constantinople, which took place in the early years of the 1200s. And this was a time, of course, of the Crusades, uh, which was very violent, part of the history of Europe at that time. But the statues then, being brought back as booty from the east, were placed at the entrance to the Doge's palace, the Doge, of course, being the ruler of Venice, and that indicated his enormous political role. And the palace was the seat of the supreme authority in Venice. So, if you like, the the statues seem to give tacit approval and to legitimise the supreme authority of the Republic of Venice all the way down to, if you go by the coast, by, by the sea, all the way down. Yeah, in fact, just thinking of that, Rethymno in Crete is has shades of Dubrovnik, is very like, uh, you know, the outskirts of, of uh, the Grand Canal in Venice. It's uh, extraordinary how the, you know, the architecture carries the, 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 that, uh, that sort of Venetian Gothic. Uh, you find it uh, clearly in Italy as well as in parts of the north of Greece, but further down the coast all the way to uh, Crete, as we're saying. Other, yeah, the four figures, there's that other great monument within or on the facade, on the loggia, over the porch of San Marco is part of that loot or booty uh, that the Crusaders brought back between 1204 and 1264. In fact, Constantinople was besieged and these Crusaders didn't behave as well as they might have. Um, not least, um, they carried back these four monumental bronze horses and that the, it was Doge Enrico Dandolo and the Crusaders had them uh, placed uh, over the, uh, the loggia in San Marco and they were of inestimable value. They originally stood at the Hippodrome in Constantinople, quite possibly on a triumphal arch at that entry. And they're not, you know, stylistically, there's nothing like it to compare. You know, it, it could be, we could think of the sculptures from the Parthenon by Phidias, which are 5th century, or indeed we could think the other, other, other side of that, Marcus Aurelius on his charger, the equestrian statue, which is um, into the 3rd century AD. But these, these four horses stand alone. It's, it was a quadriga, and they date to probably the end of the 5th into the 4th century. Uh, they're slightly larger than life and a, a part of a four-horse chariot, the drivers are missing, but they're really extraordinarily lifelike and kind of veins standing up on their, uh, on the surface. 
Venice made a lot of the fact that it ruled the seas of the Adriatic, and that's why when they took in these great treasures like the tetrarchs of the or the four horses, they saw this as their righteous bounty. But every year on the Feast of the Ascension, which Christians mark 40 days after, after Easter, the doge, dressed in his best robes, attended Mass in the ducal chapel of San Marco, which was, of course, the private chapel. Today it's the Cathedral of Venice, but in those days it was built simply as the, uh, the chapel where the ambassadors would be received. So therefore it was a place designed to impress how important Venice was in, in the whole area and the rule of the area. And they always referred to themselves as the Serenissima, the most serene republic. So the event of the uh, carrying out of the marriage of the sea uh, had wonderful music, including four choirs doubled by wind instruments accompanied, and these accompanied the procession and the mass. So after the mass, the doge and his attendants, all of whom were dressed obviously in splendid satins and silks and uh, various luxurious fabrics exited the basilica and then they boarded the ceremonial barge called the Bucintoro and this was a vast ship festooned in red cloth decorated obviously for the day and it set sail from the Molo or the quayside of San Marco out through the basin and into the lagoon. So then once it got into the central part of the lagoon the state barge anchored and the Doge performed the reenactment or the renewal of the wedding vows of Venice to the sea. So it was a very uh, impressive ceremony and it, it was an allegory. It was something which spoke to the Venetians and their mastery over the sea. And then at the end of the ceremony, the Doge concluded by throwing a wedding ring into the ocean. Although I wonder if anybody dived into the sea afterwards, which is not so deep at that point, to retrieve the ring. Uh, it could have been. Yes, um, well... There is, in fact, a really wonderful painting from the mid-18th century which depicts this religious ceremony in Venice. Um, the painting has that same title, the, the Marriage of the Sea, and the ritual is still followed today. Giovanni Antonio Canale, known as Canaletto, was born in Venice. Um, he was the son of a theatrical scene painter. He was very influential and famed for his precisely depicted and evocative views of the city. These were known as vedute. His paintings are wonderful, especially for their architectural beauty and closely observed detail uh, and also his wonderful figures, the little um, staffage almost which he dotted, the piazze and the quay sides and of course all uh, wonderful elaborately decorated boats and gondola, always so evocative and a kind of glimpse into 18th century life. But if you take a magnifying glass and go right up to the canvas uh, and in fact, you can do this if you get a good reproduction of the of the picture, let's say on your computer or your tablet. You can go right into it with megapixels, and it's it's extraordinary how precise, almost to the point of being uh, myopic, how he got right in there with his brush and managed to give these figures so much life. So, therefore, we can imagine the people disembarking on the Molo, just where the Bucantoro arrived back to shore. So, what do they see? On the right stood the Doge's Palace and San Marco, his private chapel. And to the left was the Campanile, the bell tower, which had been built around 1511. And according to tradition, Galileo was one of the illustrious visitors in 1609. 
And then on the top of the Campanile of the Beltar was a golden angel, probably, I imagine it was made from bronze, perhaps uh, gilt and gold. So therefore, if the Milordi, the lords, the aristocrats were in Venice on the last Thursday before Lent, they would have observed the spectacle of the flight of the angel from the Tartop into a waiting boat or the Doge's palace. And that, of course, was done by ropes. Well, the Campanile collapsed dramatically on the 14th of July, 1902. The whole bell tower simply came down. And essentially, uh, just due to age and due to that, uh, the shifting sands that Venice is uh, situated in, fortunately, there were no victims. Well, fortunately, well, we hope so. But I think on that dramatic note, we should take our leave because when we meet again, we have to chat about some of the, um, well, perhaps the most famous drawing room in Europe, as Napoleon called it. But in order to do that, perhaps we should stop for a cafe or a coffee in a cafe. And the ideal place to do that is right at hand in the famous Café Florian. Michael, I think it's time we stopped for coffee. Oh, well, if that's the case, until the next time, arrivederci. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.